Hello and welcome back to The Game Pit. This is episode 86 and this is our post-UK Games Expo 2017 show. Ronan. Hello, Sean. Hello. And hello, everyone else. Thank you for joining us. Yes, indeed, this last weekend... Depending upon when you listen to this, obviously, we spent three days up in Birmingham at the UK Games Expo. Over 16,000 unique visitors now, Sean. Uh, put it above Origins from last year, although Origins have got a chance to come back at them very shortly. Up in the top five, I believe, in size, Game Expos in the world now. It has grown mightily since we first went to it a few years ago. <laughs> As we said in our show last year, right, and we remember when it was... It's a tiny little trading hall in the Hilton, half a dozen or a dozen tables with not much there, but now it is, it's, it's huge. It is, a, it is a massive part of the calendar. It's definitely something that we both look forward to every year now. Indeed. Now, obviously, when we tend to do reviews, we like to have a few plays of games under our belt. Going to an expo doesn't really give you the chance to sink your teeth into a game properly, so... The deeper or the heavier games that we picked up at the Expo, they are going to be reviewed over the next few episodes and obviously we'll let you know where we got them with their Expo games. For now, what we're going to talk about are, in part, some of the things we did over the weekend because we had some unique experiences, some of the games we've played over the weekend, and maybe some of like the family, lighter, more casual games that we've played in the couple of days since the Expo because we feel like we can give you some decent coverage of those and we're going to hold fire on the deeper games. Yeah, I think what we found when we were there, as because it is growing all the time, right, is that we were kind of spread a little bit thin. You know, we're big guys, and spread us thin takes some doing. And we kind of saw a lot, but we didn't experience like the get into the the depth of the games that much. And as always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. We can be found on. Podbean, iTunes, and Stitcher. So, Kicking Off is a game we did preview. It was one of the biggest releases of the show, although it wasn't there right at the beginning. Mayfair managed to get it in after a few hours at an interesting price point. But anyway, I did pick it up. I said I was going to because I'm obsessed with bears, and it is Baron Park from Phil Walker-Harding. We got this home and we had a play or two off it. And it's a game which you start with one tile and a board in a grid, and you are going to place that one tile and you're going to pick up any other tiles according to what symbols you cover on the board that you have. You start with one small one, you expand up to having four boards. You're looking to cover every piece off those four boards which will end the game when one person does it the tiles you're laying down are polyominoes as in patchwork and cottage garden and like i said it's all got this bear theme where you're putting polar bears in and koala bears and goby bears and all the rest of it when you play the advanced version which i think most people listening would do there are three objectives out of 10 possible ones that you're looking to do will score your extra points your score points for tiles put down your score points for finishing off boards and it is I would say Cottage Garden with a little bit more on top of it. Not too much more, but a little bit. A little bit of planning. You start with just sort of putting down one tile and picking up one tile. And you're trying to manipulate which tiles they are you're picking up. And then 
going onwards from there you're then trying to cover two or three symbols at once so you have a choice of tiles and you're always planning ahead and each of the boards you have to cover up have got slightly different positions of things and they've got a pit you can't cover yourself when you completely cover the rest of the board they'll get a token on there for extra bonus points and it's very much purely a spatial puzzle sean probably a purer spatial puzzle than cottage garden even if that's possible what were your thoughts on playing baron park well, just to stick with your cottage garden comparison there, Rona, I think for me, it was the game that cottage garden should have been. I found cottage garden just a little bit, a little bit bitty with the scoring and I, it just didn't sit well with me with like the, the cats and the flower parts. I don't know. It just didn't sit well with me. This one sat perfectly well with me. I felt very relaxed playing it, hardly any downtime and I thoroughly enjoyed my game a bit. Going back to that price point, it was selling for £42 in the Xbox. Here's, uh, here's boardgameprices.co.uk. Yeah, oh, let's, that was, it was just too much. I would have picked this game up if it had been £10 cheaper. I would have picked this game up. Natalie really enjoyed it. We will get it at some stage, but not at £42. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. I admit. I stumbled on the price point, but I was so committed to it already that it didn't matter. I was going to grab it either way. It was about bears. Uh, you were always going to pick it up. It could have been a thousand pounds you'd have picked it up. <laughs> it was, and it worked. And like you say, it was Cottage Garden was not relaxing enough because you had a constant turnover of boards. And like I say the scoring was a bit weird. And it was just slightly filly. It was the boards were too small for me for me to be able to strategize properly. Like once you put two things down, you're kind of locked in with Baron Park, because there's like a construction site space on each board. And as soon as you cover that up, you get another board. You can expand your own space if you need to, and be a bit freer in where and when you choose to lay tiles. And it's less restrictive. I agree with you. I, I did enjoy Bear Park a lot. It's nothing revolutionary. It's not going to blow your mind. But if you like that patchwork cottage garden thing of laying down and having that spatial puzzle, then I would recommend this one actually quite strongly for a nice light game. Baron Park. Sean, you played another allegedly light game. Yeah, we we uh, visited the uh, Pegasus Spiel and we met up with Peter from them. And one of the games that he was pushing out in their family range was Sheep and Thief, designed by Yuichi Sakashita, and, uh, and obviously from Pegasus Spiel, as I said. Essentially what you're doing is you've got your own player board and you're laying paths and rivers. You're trying to attach various cities at the edge of your player board. Uh, you're trying to continue your rivers. Your rivers are going to score you points. Your path is going to score you points. Uh, if there's a picture of a sheep the, beside the path, then you're going to get a sheep, and that's going to score you points at the end of the game. The twist is in... There's a fox on the board, and the fox starts in the same place with everyone's player board. Should you place a card with a fox or the fox and his son, then you are going to move that fox one or two spaces. Now, everybody else has to do the same. What does the fox do? It blocks people expanding, it steals their sheep, and it makes it a very interesting game of, sort of cat and mouse. Now, it's billed as in their family range. Now, what we found, because there's a draft as well, so you're all you're kind of all trying to get a few foxes into your hand, make sure that you're, you're trying to steal each other's sheep, you're trying to block people's expansion, so if someone's expanding a river, you're saying, right, you're not having any of that, I'm going in there. So it, it actually became quite nasty and tactical. So I just said to Ronan earlier when we were discussing it, it's a bit of a wolf in sheep's clothing, this one. Oh! oh. Uh, so... 
What age of child do you think you would be able to play it with? Well, it's billed from eight upwards. Now, I was hoping from the look of it, very cutesy, really interesting, amusing art. The sheep are doing various comical things. I was hoping to be able to play with my boy maybe in a year or two. No, I'd say you're looking at sort of 10 up if the child's advanced and can take the fact that you're going to be stealing things off them or trying to or trying to stop them advancing and doing what they want. And even just building the paths in this game is really difficult. If you don't get your cards, you have to readapt what you're doing. So, yeah, I think that, that theme of your child being able to take a bit of abuse in a game <laughs> and not take it too personally. We're going to come back to that. Because it's something that I came across in a few games there which were aimed at families. And I thought, oh, I think my kids are pretty chilled out. And they kind of took it all well. And yet, I thought, oh, it can be a bit tasty here. So uh, is there a trend going on? There's a little bit of bite going into family games. Because kids do love a bit of take that. They just don't like it when it happens to them. Yeah, I think so. But I think what publishers are trying to do is that fine line, isn't it, between just a kid's game and a kid's game that adults can play with them and enjoy at the same time. And it's not a chore for the adults. So uh, they're looking for a Pixar game. (laughs) That's what they're doing. That's it. So Ronan, what was next up on your, that was, sorry, that was sheep and thief from Pegasus spiel. What was next up on your list? Ronan? My list was something that we played together on Saturday night. We got a chance to look at three upcoming Luda Creations games. And the first one I'm going to talk about is one that's live on Kickstarter right now. It's already funded. It's going to be running on there till the 30th of June 2017. And that game is Ayunu. This game is from Todd Sanders. It was available as a print and play. I believe he designed it about four years ago. Uh, and now it's been given the full retail polish. It's got really cool, interesting, minimalist artwork. It's based on, themed on you're building an Egyptian dynasty. You're not really. You are building a tableau, a set of cards. And the cards come in nine different flavors, nine different level of characters. And there's nine of the level one ones and there's one of the level nine ones. And they've all got names. And actually, they've all got actions associated with them when you play them. And they are quite thematic. There's farmers, which will score you lots of uh, points if you're able to feed them. So you need bakers to feed the farmers. But the farmers can be stolen by soldiers. There's artisans that make things cheaper. There's priests that can see into the afterlife and give you a chance to score extra points. There's the pharaoh himself. And each of those cars, like I say, the farmers individually are not worth that much. But if you feed them, it's worth an extra bonus. There's a thing in there where you can bake bread and, and, and give it to your characters. And also, each of the numbers, one to nine, the sets of cards, whoever has the majority, and it has to be a clear majority, it's unfriendly ties, is going to score extra points. And it's most for the farmers at one and least for the pharaoh at nine. And when you play a card or two, which can cost you money, you then have to swap some of the cards in your hand with a tableau in the middle. So you're always having to give up something. Although there are ways of avoiding that. Um, you can have merchants and stuff, or merchants, as the typeface looks. But anyway, so you're manipulating your hand. You're having to hand cards in to take from a public tableau. So you're creating opportunities for the next person. You're fighting over majorities the whole time. There's a little bit of steely steely if you use soldiers, particularly Ronan soldiers, on Sean's farmers, which probably won me the game. So that was quite amusing. To me, it was... Uh, as a card game that took about 40 minutes to play, almost the total package. It had fantastic, interesting art that doesn't look generic, despite the you know, Egyptian theme. There's a few Egyptian games. This looked different. The gameplay was interesting every turn. I was involved in everyone's turn. 
And it didn't outstay its welcome. So it looks good and plays well. Are you new, Sean? I have since backed it. I know you have, and I'm seriously considering it. As we said on the night, it's one of those sort of stylized, abstracty packages that I, I just walk past. doesn't have the artwork that would draw me into the game. Even the style on the cards, it, it doesn't appeal to me. But once we had this on the table and I saw how quickly I was able to understand what everything did to differentiate between the cards and get into this game, it massively helped me in deciding that basically this was a fantastic game. It is way deeper than anything of this time length has a right to be. It's just constantly thinking, constantly looking at what other people are doing, trying to sort of piggyback off them, as you did with me, you scumbag. And yeah. Oh, that's a bit brutal, isn't it? No, no, you were brutal you... to me. Me first two yeah, cards well, whipped you need from to build under up my your military. <laughs> I'm going to put out farmers with no protection. I hope everyone leaves me alone. Uh, no. <laughs> you just happened to draw one of the six military cards. I hate you. I planned that. Yeah. Back off. <laughs> yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm considering backing it as well. So, yeah, it's probably. Oh, it's it's between two games, but it's probably the best game I played at the Xbox. Ooh. Yeah, and this is one of uh, several games we played with Chris Marling at Go Play Listen, where he's got a blog about gaming. So a little plug for him. He might give you a different view of some of the games that we played together over the weekend. So there's a third opinion you might get. We've, we've had him on here before. Yeah, yeah, no, Chris, Chris was very patient especially towards the end of our, of our gaming night with him. So much kudos to him. It, the, the board game guru himself made a very welcome appearance, <laughs> but it may have slightly delayed some of the games. Good luck to you, Paul. Anyway, Sean, more family goodness from you. Yeah, so we wandered into the Queen stand where we caught up with one of their latest family efforts, which was Captain Silver, designed by Wolfgang Dershowell and Manfred Reindel. So, what Captain Silver is, is a game in which you're moving a pirate ship around in, in a in a circle, and you're basically collecting gold to score points. Now, how, the, how this works and how you propel this ship is you're all going to have a mad five minutes where you're diving into a bag full of tokens. You're trying to recognize the shapes within the bag and place them on four tracks. So there's like a ship's wheel, a bottle of port a parrot and so each of these tracks you're, you're laying out and if somebody beats you to the punch then you've got to throw your one away and that becomes minus points at the end of the round and then you're going to resolve the tracks and under the track is either gold or you move your ship around it's as simple as that a shape recognition game but it's done on a timer as quickly as you can to get as much into the right spaces as possible for me, with my massive hands, and I don't particularly like sort of real-time, snappy-snappy, throw things out, grab things at the same time as everyone else games, I am particularly enjoy it, but I can see how people would enjoy it. I th- definitely think in a year or two's time, my son would enjoy it. It's inoffensive, Ronan. It was one of those, yeah, I, you know what, I didn't hate my play of it, but I'm not too fussed if I ever see it again. I'm always kind of wary of real-time aspect in what's supposed to be family games because I find it's very hard to sort of keep the balance that way. You're naturally going to be better than kids generally and then you're really having to slow down and that can take some of the fun out of gaming. Was it one of those like clever dexterity games where kids are smarter? Like there was spaghetti there from Coil Spring where, where kids were like 
diving into this this ball of strings, they were to put out 10 at once and the adults couldn't even get one out at a time. Or Gulo Gulo, where being small-handed is an advantage. Or is it one where you're thinking, hmm, maybe it would be a chore to play with younger kids? What do you think? I think there's a couple of shapes that stand out, like the ship's wheel was obvious in the bags. But some of them were quite quite similar and you have to do a little bit of feeling around. So not for the age range that they're going for, I don't think you'd have to, the adult would have to be a bit, okay, I'm going to put one down, but I'm going to let them have a couple of goes here, that kind of thing. For me, I couldn't actually get my hand into the bag properly. So (laughs) for me, I suppose the child would actually have a a leg up on me. So there wasn't much to this game at all, I can't believe you're talking about big hands. You're not talking about the revelation of the weekend. Oh, Mr. Mr. Sam Healy from the Dice Tower. He's always talking about his <laughs> big hands, isn't he, Roland? And we were like, yeah. yeah. Now, <laughs> I've got tiny hands. I'm six foot tall and my hands are tiny. They're like as small as, as my five foot four girlfriends. Sean's like six, five, six, six. He's got big hands. Jesus. Sam Healy has got hands like two of Sean's put together. That's an impressive hunk of hand right there. That is, that is an impressive hand. Whenever he talks about these games and being fiddly from now on, I, I've a newfound respect for his, his massive digits. <laughs> okay. So just in case anyone's lost what we're talking about, that was Captain Silver by Queen Games. Right. Now, when you go to any of these expos, there's all these lovely stands. There's a big Wotan bus. There's a huge Estevium stand. Pegasus Spear are taking over the places. And there's always the other ones. There's always the ones you're a bit worried about. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Savvy Games, but they had to stand near the, the middle of the front of the show and it was just a few tiddlywinks, a couple of cards. Apparently, it wasn't a bad game, but their stand was completely blank and it was a few tiddlywinks. It didn't work. You always get a bit worried. Here's, here's a red light for you, Sean self-published when you go to one of these things right i'm with you i'm with you here's a self-published game a one-man band it's called four elements it's by robert morelli and this one really impressed me straight off the bat it is like the slightly themed love child of cube quest and let's say ascending empires it's real simple There are four different players and they have four different sets of tokens. And the tokens are either attackers that you're going to be able to flick around the place to hit the other people's tokens or they're blockers. And whichever colour you are, your plastic pieces, you've got a different number of them and they're a different shape as well. So the fire ones, for example, they look like flames of fire. They're quite curvy. Or the earth ones, they're actually yellow, but they're quite blocky and solid and rectangular and and you can sort of build a wall with those ones. Uh, The water ones, again, are are a different colour and all the rest of it. Each person's got a king piece or lord piece or lady piece that you're able to flick as well. But as soon as that lord piece is slightly off the board, you're out and it's last person standing. So you're flicking your attacking pieces, trying to knock out everyone else's uh, uh, king piece, if you like. And, and they're trying to do the same to you. Sounds simple. The fact that each of the things are individual, the fact that you can set up your pieces however you want, the fact that it kind of self-balances and that you're going after each other, the fact that you can play risky or not, the fact that it's really well made. He was really professional in his presentation. He was professional in how he dealt with us as uh, alleged members of the press. They gave us a press pass, so we can claim to be press for three days, Sean. I was really, really impressed with Robert Murley and his game Four Elements as a flicking game. I saw kids having fun there. I saw adults having fun there. Myself and Eleanor 
who's 14 had fun there. So this one, I think, is going to grow and grow and grow. I wouldn't be surprised if this gets picked up by a big publisher sometime soon. Ronan, while you were off playing this one, more than one person came up to me and told me, Ronan's over there playing a flicking game that he's getting really upset because he's getting beaten by a small child. Uh, which led to me beating a small child. <laughs> Physically beating him was, was a bit harsh. <laughs> Listen, that kid got a little bit too tasty. I don't remember getting upset. I think, you know, when I get quite excited, I tend to shout a bit. But but that kid was made of stern stuff. His name was Daniel. Well done, Daniel's parents, because he, he was not backing down. We had a really, really good time. The kid had a really good time. I had a great time. We were playing with another fella. And uh, like, it was one of those games. Even at the end, this is like the Sunday afternoon, people were still queuing to give it a coke because it looked so much fun. And the fella that went out first with us, he asked if he could stay on. He was easily in his 20s because he'd done so badly against Daniel, the eight-year-old, that he needed to redeem himself. <laughs> It was, mate. I'm surprised he didn't say Ronan's over there and he's laughing his head off playing this game because it was a lot of fun. It reminds me of the first time we played Cube Quest. I think that was at the expo as well. It was at the expo. It was with that kid. And that, that kid that us. mushed us. <laughs> uh, Turns out he's the designer's son. Why, you little. <laughs> <laughs> he did get beaten. <laughs> ah, right. Four elements and Robert Morelli. Two names to look out for, folks. Very good. Okay, this is one we covered in. Our preview to the expo, and I, although we didn't get to get an actual playtest of it, we got so much feedback and people telling us, "Oh, you know what? That sounds amazing!" and people jumping, going looking at the pre-order. So we thought we we should really go back and revisit it. And it's the City of Kings from Frank Western, the City of Games. Met up with Frank. He gave us a, a more in-depth overview. Told us a few of the little bits about it going forward. So yeah, if just to jog your memory, it's that exploration game with the storyline where you've got a kind of a role-playing mixed in with a Euro game where you're developing your character and you can develop your character in whatever arc you feel you want to, and just lots of options going on there. To add into that, speaking to Frank, there are literally 102 options for your character. You've got 30 types of quests that you can go on. There are 150 tokens in the bag for the, the villain's abilities, and that is 60 different abilities. There's so much going on in this game. Now, the game is going to come to retail in February of next year. The pre-orders are going to be open until then, unless they sell out. If they sell out, then you're just out of luck. He also gave us a little bit of a nod because we spoke about maybe he's thinking already it's a world that they're in, this City of Kings. What he wants to do is a prequel. He wants to go 10 years back in time before this massive thing happened and it'd be a total different game of the building of the City of Kings and, and how this these events came to pass where the baddies destroyed the land around this city of kings so yeah uh, the game looked very very good in person ronan i am very close to jumping in that pre-order i fully expect you to <laughs> and frank himself was uh he was really engaging as well and his passion showed through and uh, possibly i'm going to talk about a, a game or two later whereby it's almost hard to judge because the demonstrator was either not interested or didn't know what they were talking about. We've all had that expose, but probably we've all had the other experience like we are with Frank, where someone knows their game inside out, is passionate, knows how to talk about it, and you get caught up with their enthusiasm. 
Tristan Hall was one who did the same thing. He's talking about Gloomer Kilforth in 1066. And we're like, yeah, you're following with him going, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. And you're getting all hyped up. And I got talked into buying a game we'll come to as well. But but Frank had that sort of passion and that lucidity whereby you go, you know what? I have faith in you because you believe in your own game. And you acting like you love it means that I now want to be part of this and see why you love your own game so much. So he was definitely infectious in a good way. It looked brilliant. He had that sort of larger copy printed out to attract a lot of attention. There were two tables there for playtesting. As Sean's mentioned, and we probably won't mention it anymore, but we had a super busy weekend with lots and lots of appointments. Some Dice Tower stuff we're about to get to that we were lucky enough to get involved in. So we didn't get to do a gameplay. Possibly we're going to do it different next year and try and focus on getting a few more games played. But... Well done, Frank. Well done, City of Kings. This is definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. That's City of Kings by the City of Games. Now, this is Kings leading to a game with the name King in it. It's King Frog from our buddies at Brain Games who brought out Ice Cool last year, which has gone on to be a pretty fantastic hit and be nominated for prizes and all sorts of stuff. Now, they have a few more family-level games coming out. We've managed to play a couple of them, or at least I have on my kids, and this one. It's not on Board Game Geek yet, if you look for it, but it should be soon. I've told them already, and I'll tell them again. Get it on Board Game Geek! It's called King Frog. It's quite a simple game where you're going to have a series of tiles laid out in a circle. Three of the tiles are going to be uh, wild coloured or, or ripple, which is a sort of a, a death space. And the rest of them are going to be colours of the players. The players will play one colour. They have a frog of that colour and they have lilies of that colour more or less evenly dispersed around the circle. It's very simple. You've got a hand of five cards. They're called your mosquito cards. They're numbered one to five. Each turn, everyone chooses a card face down simultaneously and flip them. They have number one to five on that's how many spaces you're going to move. Whoever played the lowest number is going to move first. They do not count spaces with frogs on. And you are attempting to always land on lily pads of your own colour or one of the two wild ones because then you get to take your mosquito card back in your hand. If you land on any other colour, that card gets discarded. Everyone gets to see what cards discarded out of your hand. Your options become limited. It's either going to be the person who is last frog standing will be the king frog. Or if the person in the lead can go all the way around and catch the person who's last, which is more likely to happen with fewer players. With four players, I'm going to suggest that's going to be pretty hard to do. It takes 10 minutes to play. I got it out. I looked at the rules. I went, this is pretty simple. I wonder how this is going to go down. Again, my kid's slightly older, 14 and 11. We played it once. We immediately played it again. So there's your first good sign. It was far enough that we went, this is quite funny. It's one where you're definitely trying to read the players around you play it once you go this is kind of random so actually what we did once we played with a random deck see how they did and they got absolutely destroyed and went out first it's not random you do have to try and anticipate what the other players are going to do sometimes you'll be right sometimes you'll be wrong but you feel like you have slightly enough control that you can blame other people for doing something unexpected and you go ah you've just killed me what did you choose a two for i thought you didn't choose a four and that sort of thing in a funny way where you're all laughing you're all losing cards someone's getting stitched up they're down to just a two left in their hand and you're like well we know what you're going to do and then somehow miraculously they stay in the game and you go out or whatever it may be all that sort of fun just in a 10 minute really simple rules really simple gameplay a little bit of predicting each other i think this is again not a world beater but a nice fun very very quick filler game almost while you're waiting for a food in a restaurant, an actual filler to fill a gap by waiting for someone to turn up, you could do a lot worse than King Frog. Cool, Ryan. And the only thing, I mean, I said it in our preview of this game, is that just wanted to make sure that you did have a lot of agency in when you do want to mess with people. 
and it wasn't uh, sort of for someone to just go four steps ahead and nobody can catch them sort of thing. That was my only slight worry. It's hard for them to just go four ahead because they're going to lose their cards. The mm. best jump is not always going to be four ahead. It's going to be, you might have to go one or two yeah, yeah. because you don't want to end up all the way. And also, a good way of, of stopping that is the frogs at the back go first. If you both choose a four, the one behind is going to go first. So you can kind of jump ahead of someone and mess with them. Because then have they counted that you'll be ahead of them and that space won't count or not? Because every time you go ahead of someone, you knock them one space further on when they move. Now, there's, there's definitely enough interaction. In terms of agency, partial. And partial, you're at the whim of what everyone else chooses to do. But it's 10 minutes long. No, it's, it sounds like it's one of those games you, you break out at the beginning of the night. You get people's heads slightly ticking. There's a bit of craziness going on. So just hitting that sort of crazy, enjoyable, but a little bit of tiny thinking. Almost zany and wacky. Zany, wow. (laughs) I know, yeah, let's go there. (laughs) Now, it wasn't all playing games for us. We got up to some other fun and interesting things. Yes, Ronan, we did. Um, As we said to everybody, we were on the Dice Tower booth every day between 12 and 1, although we were quite late one of the days. Um, We don't talk about that day. We don't talk about that day. And thank you very much to everybody who came up and said hello it, it meant a lot to us. And in addition to that, Ronan, we had a couple of Dice Tower live events. And the first of which we would like to talk about is the top five that we were they very kindly invited us along to. And we actually managed to get up on stage and give our top most exciting moment in gaming. Yeah, it was uh, Sam, Z, Tom, and the guys from No Pun Included, uh, FK and Elaine, did their top fives, then they, they invited a few of us up to go afterwards. But firstly, I'll say that I watched quite a few of their top 10 videos. I have them on in the background when I'm doing bits and bobs in the house, or you know, at work, you're doing some paperwork, they'll be on in the background. And I enjoy them, and I like them, I like to hear the guys' opinions. This is one of the best that I've ever witnessed. Now, there were video cameras there, so I'm hoping this is going to get uploaded, because firstly it was a really funny list of events from everyone secondly there was a lot of mickey taking going on which was pretty funny the person mostly getting abused was tom which made it even funnier and thirdly there was actually some genuinely kind of touching moments where people that you kind of think well these guys are kind of slightly removed from us you know they're they're famous and it's their job and all the rest of it and then they sort of bring you back to reality a bit with some of their touching moments. And and there was a gamut of emotions I went through, Sean, sitting in that front row. I'm not afraid to admit it. It was. I am a big fan of their top tens and their top fives. And But, yeah, this one was different. It definitely was. Because it wasn't... It's a bit more personal. Yeah, it wasn't about games. It was about the person yeah. rather than the games. Uh, Tom told a touching story about playing with his parents. And right at the end, Z brought... I'm not sure how touching it was. He was talking about destroying them at a game. It was the first time he'd ever beat his parents in a game. (laughs) I thought it was nice. And it it was about the feelings that he got from, like, oh, my God, I could beat my parents. Like, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm I'm there. I'm the man. And then the last... uh, The Z talking about the... Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it, because it's going to go up. Z's number one. Just watch it. He had a tear in his eye. We had a tear in our eye. And yeah, it was it was the best top five stroke top ten that I've seen from them. Yeah, it was really good entertainment. Genuinely, genuinely, and that's true. I know we sound like we're big enough to we run it. Now we got to go on and give our, our one favourite one each, and we were like, yeah, we've got something that's a little bit funny, a little bit touching, and all the rest of it. Oh goodness me, Dave Loser just blew, he went first of all the contributors. He yeah. had the funniest 
funny story and the way he delivered it was so funny that all the, all the rest of the contributors yeah. just looked at each other going oh just no. like no what are... <laughs> I even said to him I said you are off the Christmas list he's like oh so why <laughs> why I said because you ruined everybody else's segment <laughs> <laughs> he was very, very funny. Uh, but you know what? Uh, all, I think all the contributors were really funny, were really good. It kind of put a bit of pressure on us. We were a bit like, oh, wow, I'm not sure my story's that good. Ours kind of bled into other people's stories, so we had to come up with our own little twist on the on the hoof, so to speak. But I think we, I think we carried it off just about, maybe. But we didn't disgrace ourselves. Anyway, hopefully that will get uploaded sometime this week. I really hope so, because it, it's... Uh, an hour and a half of, of a show that's worth your time watching if you don't usually watch their videos and like Sean said more nerve-wracking than I thought because I've spoken in public before and what have you there was 300 and something people in the room and I think I have to admit I got a little bit nervous going up I was fine the whole show and then stepping up I was a bit like oh I better tell this story well <laughs> yeah, I was fine that's fine. I had my story in my head. Then Dave went up, completely knocked me for six. I was just about recovering. <laughs> and L- Luke Hector from the Broken Meeple went up and gave a very similar story to the one I had planned in my head. So I had to adapt literally within seconds a slightly different story. But it, not that it wasn't true. It was absolutely true. It just wasn't the focal point of my story. It's how you framed it. But yeah, it was it was a really cool experience. We're going to be helping out the Dice Tower booth again in Essen when we're there. UK Games Expo, they intend to come back. We'll be back there again. I think we're going to get better and better at, at kind of the bigger stage, I'd say. I reckon they get more downloads than us. What do you reckon? I don't know. I think it's neck and neck. They... Oh, I'm going to give them the edge. Yeah, you reckon? I'm, I'm good like that. Okay. We, say that they've got we didn't five. have a booth with. Oh, how funny was it when it was just Sean and I on the booth when um, there was a live dice tower? Was it the Q and A or something was going Q&A, on? That's right. Yeah. Thank you to our fans who came up first of all. I don't want to sound ungrateful. People did come up and say hello to us, but you're talking about there was two or three people at the booth sometimes and chatting. There was tumbleweed available. Uh, it was a tumbleweed. <laughs> we were chat- we had lovely people, and we had more time to talk to people and talk about the promos, talk about the show, and other people were coming up and just asking us what was going on. And that was lo- honestly, genuinely. But then Tom or C or Sam or all three of them turned back up, and it was just. There, here's everyone. Here they all are. 20 people crowd around trying to chat and get photos and signing things and stuff like that. And you're like, yeah, I think I think they're more well-known than us. I, I don't know. What do you think? Again, again, it's touch and go. It's touch and go. Touch and go. If we have a we'll big, on, a big we? 2018, we'll push ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We've had our, our little stars in our eyes moment. It's back to our obscurity. Okay. I'll tell you what's not obscure, Sean. What's not obscure, Roland? Dark Souls, the computer game. Well, it was only a tiny little box in a tiny little stand. I said the computer game. Dark Souls, the board game I'm getting onto. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dark Souls, the board game was there. I did get a chance to play test it with Jamie. Thank you very much from Steamforge. I just played a boss battle. It wasn't the full lot. Now, the way the game works is it's a node base. It's not a grid, it's a node base. It works very similarly. Uh, system, and you work your way through various rooms. You're leveling up as you go through. You're fighting minions, looking to gear yourself up for a boss battle. The boss is going to have a 
deck of programmed moves which is going to reshuffle it so it's kind of limited it's like a boss in a computer game they have set moves you're trying to anticipate them that's been talked about a lot the fact that their movements are predictable now i only play one boss battle and although it was a limited deck it was harder to predict their moves because one of their cards shuffled up all the other cards and i didn't see their moves off enough to be able to predict what they were going to do but there you go there you go. Uh, I've only played it once. So I just played the boss battle, and the boss battle itself was really, really fun. I have to say, we were in, we were out, we are taking risks, we are using equipment, but then we all of a sudden lost, because if one member of your party dies, that's it, you reset, you go back to your campfire, and you have to fight your way through the whole game again to get to the same boss battle to defeat that boss. The idea being that you're going to level up and gear up, and you're going to have more of a chance the second time around, or the third time around. And that, to me, is the key of the game. The combat is fun. You have a few decisions to make. There's fun in the gear and stuff that you can collect and that you're going to be leveling up. But the first time you go through the dungeon, I imagine that there's some interest there. It's going to be fairly repetitive after that. Do you enjoy the challenge of going, right, I'm not likely to win this first boss fight, but I'll learn something about how the boss behaves. Then I'm willing to spend 45 minutes an hour going through more of the same just to level up just to fight that same boss again if that sounds interesting dark souls i think is going to be a great game for you it's pricey but it looks great and it's got fantastic you know uh, huge miniatures and stuff maybe not the most detailed but they look good enough to me if that sounds tedious you're going to hate the game and i think this is going to be a marmite game for everyone well sean does it sound like something you'd like to battle your way through thing about this one Rona, was it was it was that hook it was there's a lot of these miniature games where you're battling monsters and going through dungeons i know because i own most of them if i'm not a fan of the computer game what's the thing that was going to pull me into this you saw it up close and personal from afar when i when i looked at the kickstarter i thought about backing it it just didn't pull me in to, to me it's it's for that min max gamer who wants to take on the toughest boss and work out how to defeat them and feel like I've had a real challenge, I've really maximised what I can do and I've learnt the game and overcome it. That's what it appeals to. No, I'm not a min-max gamer in anything I play in online games, in board game or whatever. I'm more of a kind of explore the space sort of a guy and mooch around and see what's going on, have a bit of a story and all that sort of stuff. So... Uh, that's what it is sean it's whether that style of game really appeals to you is the challenge enough or do you need the story all the way through and the constant involvement and the different things and the shiny and the oh well i wonder what this card is or do you want the no i'm gonna go through this i'm gonna win this fight better this time i'm gonna get more loot i'm gonna get a better sword and i'm gonna learn that boss and i'm gonna beat it and it doesn't matter if i have to do that again because then i'll be getting better and better each time i go and i'll keep my gear and i'll be stronger and that's good because that progression in myself is enough for me very good, very good. So that was Dark Souls. And now we are going back in time to the Lost Library of Alexandria. And the game is called Alexandria. It's designed by Babis Giannis, and it comes from Ludi Creations. This was another one in our gaming night with Chris Marling from Go Play Listen. This one's themed about the burning, the famous burning of the... The Library of Alexandria. So Shall I tell my dragon? Tell your dragon story, really Ronan. I was going to tell you to oh, say it anyway. Oh yeah yeah i'm reading history about istanbul and it was linked to alexandria and i'll tell you quick it had written out on 140 foot long what they called the gut of a dragon but i think was a massive python in gold 
a story from one of the scriptures. Wow, I'm a bit gutted. That got burnt. Who thought of that art, though? Who thought, mm, you know what that massive python needs? It needs a story on it. (laughs) I'm going to cut that open, steal its gut, cure it, and then in gold, I'm going to write that story on it, because, you know. Why not? Why not? Yeah. So Hmm. so this game is themed about, basically, you have four characters, and you're all in this library of Alexandria, and it's burning down. It's a, it's a modular board. The board is going to burn down, and essentially you're going to be forced closer and closer together as these characters. Each of the characters has a different way of winning the game. Now, you've got the collector, which made perfect thematic sense to me. That person is trying to gather all the stuff, save it from burning. Cool, that's how they win the game. You've got someone who's actually setting fires. Interesting. And they win when they, the more fires they set, the more times they get caught in the fire. You have another person who seems to be in love with lecterns. I love lecterns. I love lecterns. That's, yeah. We never got to the bottom of that story. No, no. Basically, the more lecterns they're in the room with, the more more points they get. And they like to force other people. He just loves Loves lecterns. He always has. Yeah, they like to force their help on other people. Okay, interesting. And the other one likes to lay traps for people. And or alternatively assisting. Alter- you know, whatever, you know <laughs> as you got down to your viewpoint. <laughs> Ronan, Ronan was the trap or the alternative assister. Ronan was the alternative assister. And you've got a deck of cards, and each of them has your own uh, moves in it. You're going to play a card, and you've got. A, a certain amount of time that you can spend per round. I thought the first round was really confusing. I didn't really get the theming of the game at all because of all those different characters kind of threw me out of the game a little bit. But by the second and third round, I was starting to feel the puzzle evolving when you're getting sort of forced into areas and each person trying to do their own thing. How did you feel? I think that the best point of the game is going to be its hardest selling point. Each of the characters is asymmetric. Each of them got their own way to score. Therefore, to play effectively, you have to know each of the four characters. It's reminded me a bit of the problem I've got with Vast. So I've bought Vast about six months ago. I have to know how to play all the characters. I have to teach how to play all the characters for everyone else to play well. Because you have to know how to play the dragon if you're the dragon, but you also have to know how the goblin works and the knight works. In this, if you're playing as the collector, you have to know how your collector works and how you're going to score points. So firstly, you have to know your own deck, what's coming up, what your options are, what's in there, so that you can lay out and plan accordingly. However... Everything you do, if you do it wrong, opens up chances for other people. So that person who loves lecterns, who likes to spawn off you and and assisting you, well, then uh, you're setting up opportunities for them. Or wherever it may be, you're blundering into someone else's traps, alternative assisting. So that's going to be their hard sell in Alexandria, is in a world where everyone wants to know a game and be in and playing it straight away, are they going to get people to play often enough and learn the roles for the puzzle to be not just puzzling, but interesting and interactive and intuitive. I will say there's definitely interesting bits in there. I'd like to get to know the game better. I hope Ludic Creations, when they're looking to launch it or Kickstarter, or whatever they're planning to do with it, have a way to help people get over that hurdle. The box art cover looks great. Uh, we obviously saw a prototype version, but it was, it was, it was getting towards being finished. There was a couple of issues on the board. I, all the items looked very similar from afar. 
and I kind of felt that kind of slowed down gameplay. So hopefully they add a bit and, of color. but also also themeless. Yeah, yeah. The items that that's kind of didn't help. It was like that is a lectern and that's an armoire and like you're like what why. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me why they are what they so are. You've got to go, that didn't help with the confusion. Yeah, you've got to kind of go one way or the other. You say, like, this is completely abstract, and we're just going to colour them so you can see them different, or you come up with things like, why? what are they, and why are they in there? You could get people into your little tableau, and I didn't understand why we were getting people into our tableau. So it didn't make thematic sense. It was neither fish nor fowl running. A, a good saying. Like <laughs> they either go with the abstract feel of it, or they sort of try and tie in the story a little bit better. But I think it was it was an interesting start, and I'd definitely like to give it another go. That was Alexandria from Ludi Creations. Okay, before we break for for half time and a little interlude, Sean, we're going to go away from the games again, and we're going to talk about one of the really great things for us. Now that we have, you know, a, a bit of access to the industry, if you like, as well as being able to play games like Ayuno and Alexandria, go up and dice and things like that, is the ability to sit down sometimes and chat with people within the industry. Obviously, we do it a lot. We go around all the booths, and everyone is in the industry. Frank from City of Kings is in the industry. Sometimes you get a chance to talk to people whose games you've been playing for years, and for me, it's a little bit of a fanboy moment. So. I had, I had two pretty cool conversations that I just wanted to mention because there was some news in there. First, I was chatting to Gale Force 9, and I forgot the guy's name. I'm really sorry, but he was their top man. And it was really cool. We started off sort of a brief conversation about Star Trek Ascendancy and it went on from there. And we kind of talked almost over the whole history of them getting into board games and how they've managed to get all these licenses. And if you, if you stop for a second and think about the licenses they've grabbed recently, you know, they've got Star Trek. And they've got Doctor Who and these huge lightsabers. And you go, how, how did this come about? And it was as simple as they like Spartacus. The idea of Spartacus TV show sparked an idea in their heads to design a specific Spartacus game. When they took it to stars, they thought it was going to be a combatorial game. And they were like, oh, you know, it doesn't really go. with Because the, the TV show, while there's that sort of combat in it, and yet it's themed a around that it's more about the stuff around it and they were like well that's exactly what we've designed boom they got their license from spartacus they were able to take spartacus and show it to the firefly people and say we've got a firefly game we've designed and they were like oh cool what is it bang they got firefly and it was as simple as being incredibly competent to design the game got these guys their break and to me that's kind of a cool story and gives me a bit of faith because this is the company that almost single-handedly have raised back up licensed games into an area where we don't dismiss them anymore. We're kind of quite excited that there are these licensed games coming out. I'm a huge, huge fan of Gale Force 9. You know, I love me a bit of Firefly Ronan. And yeah, it's, it's interesting that they a way of coming about. It's not just a case that they're going straight to the publishers with an idea or they're coming up and say, listen, this is the game. It matches your show exactly. Boom, happy, happy days. I like the way to go about it. And going forward, we had a bit of a chat. There's been a slight delay on some of the stuff like the Star Trek expansions for Ascendancy because Doctor Who and working with the BBC had a lot of stuff going on, basically. And they had to go into sort of new areas and, and, and new levels of things that they, they hadn't done before. But now that's out of the way and they're 
he was talking me through the Doctor Who game. I believe it was there to play test, but again, we didn't get a chance to busy talking. But uh, it, it sounded quite cool. It's a kind of semi-co-op, a race to beat the Daleks, and you're using each other's dice and helping out. But you have to be careful how much you help each other out and what have you. And he was saying the Star Trek, all three expansions are coming out, including the Borg, around Gen Con time. And also the most exciting bit of news he was saying was that Firefly for them has had the longest tail of any of their games. So, no, it's not selling as well as it did four years ago, whatever, but it's selling pretty well. But the game as is at the moment, it's kind of finished off, right? It, it would be hard, I think, for them to sort of go any further, make that map any bigger. They can keep going out with small expansions. This is from me. But he did say that during June, they will be making a big announcement about Firefly, about the game, about the universe, and about where they're going. So there is more Firefly content. Definitely come from Gale Force 9. <laughs> he would not break the news to me, despite a little bit of squeezing. He was actually bigger than me, though. So I only squeezed very gently. A slight little bit of a scoop that there will be a scoop coming up in the next week or two. Sean, are you happy? Oh, I'm delighted. <laughs> a scoop about a scoop. Well done. A scoop about a scoop, and they're going to strength to strength for their licenses. Is all saying they're, they're in a healthy place. The second quick bit of fanboying I'm going to give is that Sean managed to come along halfway through the conversation. I got to sit down with Christopher Bedell, the man behind Greater Than Games, the man, the driving force behind Sentinels of the Multiverse. And I, by myself, got 10 or 15 minutes of Chris Bedell's time to just chat to him about what's going on with Sentinels of the Multiverse, where they're going, what's going on, and, oh, did, did you notice the stars in my eyes, Sean? Don't forget the RPG game. Oh, uh, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> it's funny, just so, before Ryan goes on and just waxes lyrical about, it was kind of weird, it was weird for me, because I felt like I was kind of intruding, because I'm not the biggest Sentinels fan, and I kind of had to nod along when Ryan was saying, oh, yeah, I absolutely love it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that. That's why I interjected myself between you and him. You were sat on the far side of the table. You probably weren't worthy to be there. I really wasn't welcome. I should have had. I should have had a proper Sentinels fan there with me. Anyway, what did I learn about Sentinels Multiverse? first? Well, this is going to be two minutes for Sentinels fans. Sorry, everyone else. Fast forward if you need to. Obviously, the story as is. This arc is finishing when Oblivion comes out. We're done. The role playing game is going to come out in the summer. It's going to come out with a starter kit. And these starter kits are, I think, what a lot of role-playing game companies are realising we need to be very accessible to get people in and give them a try of our system before we ask them to really uh, you know, go full boring and buy core books and all the rest of it. So around August, there's going to be a starter set come out with a limited campaign with some characters. The starter set is going to cover the 10 years after the end of Oblivion up to the beginning of the actual RPG, which is going to be coming out on Kickstarter towards the end of the year. That RPG, the characters in there, the main characters you're going to inject with, although character creation is going to be a huge part of it, you're going to be able to create your own heroes and put them in the Sentinels multiverse, is going to have some heroes you'll recognise, heroes and villains you'll recognise, but in slightly different forms, because they'll have been changed by what's happened in the story from Oblivion, and new characters and younger characters. And they're going to be coming through. And so it will be a mix of the characters you know and new characters that are part of the world. And like I say, this starter set will explain some of the 10 years in between. Starter set will be 25 quid or whatever. And it will give board gamers a chance to try out the RPG before they have to dive in. Because if you're a Sentinels fan, you might be tempted to get it. At the end of the year in the Kickstarter, there's going to be the full sort of core book there's going to be a campaign book there's also just going to be a book of law available which you can back just that which will just be information about 
the multiverse and the characters and if you just want that which hasn't got any games mechanics in it that is also available to you it was fantastic game to sit down and talk to him he is going to be doing more games in the sentinels of the multiverse multiverse but he's not going to be doing any more off sentinels of the multiverse itself in the multiverse so that card system is put to bed he's obviously saying he's not going to bring elements off the design through that may happen sometimes but he has no intention of rebooting it with these newer characters so there you go that's what i got if you've been following along you're a real sentinels fan you'll know about sentinels of earth prime that they're doing with green ronin which christopher's working with them completely separate it won't be linking into the multiverse itself that is its own sort of line over there that they're doing with that particular as mutants and masterminds rpg sort of law and system so if you're a sense of multiverse fan that was interesting if you're not it wasn't but it was great for me to be able to sit down and talk to him. that law book Ryan, that was that's the bit i found interesting in the conversation the way that they're going to sort of manufacture a history of the comic books like the history of marvel and the history of dc from an artistic point of view, I found that really interesting. But there you go. Well, well, they produce comics all the time, set in the universe. Yeah. You can get them the Sentinels comics. And what he was saying is getting a bit meta that this book is going to be both the history of the multiverse, but also the history of Sentinels comics as if they were created in the 30s and through to the current day. And there's a bit sort of going on off both, the story of the both of them, which sounds, you know, oh, cool. slightly mind-bending. I don't even know how he thinks of it, but... I'm on board. I'm in. Go for it. Good days. Right now that Ronan's got his fanboy out of the way, we will see you in the second half of this episode. So welcome back for part two of our quick UK game expo. Well, quick about each of the games, but maybe not that quick an episode, but it's an overview. A light sprinkling of the things we experienced over that weekend in Birmingham UK Games Expo 2017. And Sean, you played a game not of this world. No, well, not of not of eight worlds, but nine worlds, right? Oh, indeed. <laughs> Now, Nine Worlds has been around in previous uh, expos. I think it was there at the last expo, and it was definitely at Essen from last year. And it's I, th- one of I think ones- it's allowed, given that the designer is one of the main organisers. <laughs> so it's designed by Richard Denning, as Ronan just alluded to, and it comes from Medusa Games. Now, I've, it's one of those games that kind of stands out from afar, looks really beautiful, lots of like glass components and the the artwork is quite striking. And I've now, I just can't, I keep meaning to give it a go and I never quite got around to it. I think in my mind I was a little bit frightened of it because it kind of looked quite abstracty. So I was a bit, yeah, I don't know. Natalie dragged me along at this expo and she said, right, now I really want to play this because... I like the look of it, so I was like, cool, right, let's do it. So what it is, is you've got your nine worlds, and you're basically trying to influence each of these worlds, and area control situations going on. Your movements are very simple in that you can bring one of these glass beads that represents your power into your player board, or transfer them onto the board itself. You can put them either side of your character piece, or on the world that you're on, and you can move your character piece around got a certain amount of action points to do this where it gets interesting is that at the end of the round if there's a total of five in any given world and you you are controlling that world 
and you will activate the power of that world. And each world has a different power. There is also combat. If you go above five and there's more than one person in the, that area, you have to go down to five, and it's a very simple combat going to be going on. And it's all a very tactical game with moving other people around, moving them into combat with other people, extracting yourself from combat or placing yourself into the mouth of the demon, trying to trying to tempt people into fighting. It's, it's very, very thinky, abstracty. I didn't think I was going to like it. I did. I really did. We played three or four rounds out of the possible, I think it's seven. It was really ramping up. It was really got getting to the point where, like, okay, I can see what, what you've done. I can see how you've done it. I've got a plan to combat that, and I'm sure everybody else was feeling the same. The person that was teaching us the game was giving us little tidbits of information so that we wouldn't have noticed from our first play. So it's definitely got an arc and depth to it. And, yeah, I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would, Ronan. I have to say I'm quite surprised, Sean, because it was one we've seen before and you always were sort of, so you must be pretty glad that Natalie dragged you over there. I am, yeah. I I was really glad I got to give it a go. It does look beautiful and it packs a punch, I would say, Rodan. Oh, nice. How Mm. lovely. It's not the easiest, again, one that's going to grab you in because it's just those beads on that very abstract looking board. It does look very yeah. abstract. So I think they've got a slightly hard sell with it. But but you're persuading me. You're persuading me. I might, I might yeah, well get talked into this. The worlds themselves are a bit of a mishmash. I think that you've got some from Norse mythology and you've got some from sort of Anglo-Germanic mythology and it kind of all melded together. And that's probably why it didn't draw me in. But I'm glad it did. I'm glad I got there eventually. That was nine worlds. Well, I'm going a little bit more more down key here, a little bit easier, a little bit quicker. This is the second game we're doing from Brain Games, and this is Reef Root. This is a game in which you play as a school of four fish in a colour at the start on one side of a board, and on the other side of the board are going to be three, or if you're particularly hardcore, four predator fish. And you're attempting to get across to the far side of the board while the predator fish will be inexorably coming towards you, moving up and down, attempting to gulp up your fish. It's kind of like a side-scrolling shooter in slow motion where you're trying to get past them, they're trying to get you. Now, on your turn, you get two dice and you roll them and they've got two predator faces on them and then they've got one face of each of the colours of fish. And whatever colour of fish that you roll, you have to move. If you're on someone else's colour fish, they have to move, you have to move one of their fish straight forward across the board. If you're all your own colour, you've got the flexibility of moving up and down, moving out of lanes. Because whenever a predator is rolled, you can move a predator either towards the left, towards where all the fish are, or up and down. But no fish can ever move backwards. There's an inexorable creep. The predator's coming forward and you trying to get past them because once you're past the predator, that predator can never get to you. It's quite a small board. It's about nine by eight in terms of size. So it's not huge movement loads of flexibility. It's just one of those things where you're almost pushing your luck. You're getting as close to predators as you can so you're not wasting moves, but praying then that someone else doesn't roll a couple of predator dice and then go, 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 move the predator quickly and snap you up and gobble you because once that fish is gone, it's gone. And the winner is either someone who gets one fish across the other side of the board or is the last fish standing. Sounds quite similar to King Frog in that respect. And like King Frog, and like you were talking with Sheep and Thief, it's one of those games whereby it's fun, it's quick, it's aimed at families, but your fish are going to get gobbled up. Do not get attached to them. Do not take it personally when someone moves a predator to get to you and attack you. I thought it was going to end in this horrible mishmash of just everyone getting eaten, and then 
suddenly from the movement of the predators sort of a, a channel opened up and one of the kids just broke free and went for it and then we got into quite an exciting dice roll off whereby every time they rolled a predator they were moving the predator out of the way and obviously every time we were rolling them we were moving that predator back down again to try and gobble up their fish in the end they snuck through for the win we were playing three player so I think it's a bit easier to win with four player if you're doing that there are three other players rolling to get the predators to gobble you up it, it was quite funny because the predators don't move that much they're not all over the place they are kind of a little bit they move up and down slowly in channels and you are almost sort of looking for an opening and trying to dash through but with obviously a large dose of luck in there it's cool that if you roll another place fish you have to progress it forward so you can't mess around with it too much. So if you get your fish in a lane, that's the lane it's going to stay in until you decide to move it in or out if you happen to roll your own colour. Again, another game that took 10 or 15 minutes. There was fun, there was banter, there was abuse. Already the Predator fish have all been given names like Jeff and Pratesh and Gurp and all sorts of different stuff. Uh, and there was laughing, there was groaning, and obviously there was loads of in-your-face celebrating when Eleanor won. So another quick, like, family hit for me for Brain Games with Reef Root. I'm glad you enjoy it. But I, what I do want to say is that Brain Games are really making a, a name for themselves in that family gaming genre. Now, we also want to pass on our congratulations. We're big fans of Ice Call and to the point where we talked with Liga and the Brain Games people we even had a competition down at London on board on Sea at Lobster Con and yeah they've Ice Cool has been nominated for the Kinderspiel des Jahres uh, for 2017 so just want to say congratulations to Liga and all the Brain Games team and this one sounds another one that's that certainly got Ronan intrigued and enjoying it so long may it continue now I played a fun game Sean you were looking at something that would be fun to play on. I don't think that was a good segue, but I'm sticking with it. <laughs> don't don't show them any weakness. <laughs> uh, okay, so literally our first appointment at the expo was to go over and sample the wonders that are the tables from Geek and Son. They always have us kind of dribbling looking thinking wishing that we could we could get one of those into into our own gaming areas at home they are fantastic we we met up on the team there they talked us through all the additions that you can have to these tables now each of these tables from geekinson is made by one person on their own all done in poland it is a solid it's they they say themselves it's going to last you for for your entire game in life if you wanted to they've got a range they start from the ludovic which is the all singing all dancing then you got henry which is the one that ronan's got his eye on it's got the <laughs> the strobe the, the lighting around the side and the mp3 player that goes in so you can play music it all looks amazing and they've got a new one out a new table out which is a streamlined version of all of these so still you still got the covering you still got the the nice plush tablecloth they've also got a coffee table come out around and that you can have a tv screen or a computer screen in the coffee table and it kind of revolves out and then turns back into a coffee table yeah but unless it's got lighting and speakers i'm really not interested no no yeah we know we know you're all about the henry <laughs> <laughs> but thank you big thank you to the guys from gear consult for showing us around and if you do want a, a gaming table i don't think you can go far wrong with them 
I'd just like to point out that not thank you to the Dice Tower because they made us work at their booth where there was a Geek and Sun table for us to lean on and drool on the whole time. And that just yeah. did not help with me trying to control my urges. Yeah, your old credit card was out a few times. I had to wrestle it off you. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> While we're talking about the Dice Tower, we also carry on with the other thing we did with them. On Friday, we got to take part in the game off. Well, it was supposed to be a mass game of wits and wages, but it turned into just a game of wits and there was no bidding. I don't know how we got dragged into a game of wits. But uh, we got to be on one of the four teams. It was uh, Z's team and Sam's team and John from Actual Law Video's team. And then we were able to have our own team as the game pit. And we were asked, I think it was something like 12, 9 or 12 questions, like in Wits and Wages with numerical answers to them. And we had a rolling addition of two people from the audience up join us and answer. And everyone had to write down their answers. You had to be closest to the answer without going over. And Dave, again, loser, was, was going around chatting to people in the audience, calling out their questions and what have you. And there's a few other things thrown in there where you had to guess five out of category and stuff like that. And it was a really good laugh, Sean. It was things like Take That had the best-selling album ever in the UK. How much did it sell on its first day? Or how much money did Dungeons & Dragons, the movie, make at the box office worldwide? Or name five of the top 15 grossing Jeremy Irons films? I think Tom was trying to like get in touch with the British audience there. But when you think about it, Jeremy Irons is one of those obscure British actors, which is, he's in stuff, but what's he actually in? Yeah, yeah. He's, he, everyone knows him. But it's still when it boils down to it, like, what what is he actually in, apart from Dungeons & Dragons? And... Let's have a little quick game of it here, Ron. Oh, Jeremy Irons. Yep, Jeremy Irons. He's the main film, the main film that he is associated with and took more than double the takings of his second place film. Can you guess what it is? So we'll come back to that in a I minute. I'll give you a I minute can, to think. You can because we but missed we didn't it at the show. The <laughs> no, we were rubbish. Everyone else got it. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you think about that one for a minute. <laughs> yes, and obviously the best thing of all this was Okay, so we came first. You know, that was great, even though we're a bit thick. Beating Sam and Z, that was all right. But I think beating John from actual LOL, I think that was the most satisfying part of that for me. No, you know what upset me, Ronan? God. My own dear wife in the audience was called out to come and join the team of her choice. (laughs) Her dear husband sitting with an empty chair beside him. Yeah. She goes and sits next to Z. Yeah, and we crushed her. We crushed her. To be fair, I had a sat next to Z as well. We loved I it. felt like we didn't gloat enough. I called <laughs> all the did. members of the audience dumb at some point, but I think I got away with it. We should have flipped the table and run out. <laughs> anyway, the pits were not the pits. Go us. Are you ready for your answer now, everybody, now that we've, we've talked about our wonderful victory? I, I can't stand the tension. I was too busy winning. The Lion King. 90% of you out there got that, didn't you? We didn't. <laughs> 99, we didn't. <laughs> we just guessed random films, which he didn't turn out to be in. Anyway, Sean, we had a look at a game. Now, these guys had a big stand, but it was very early in its development, but it still caught your eye. It did. I think it's really the passion uh, that they had for the game. And it, it caught my eye for a specific reason. The game is Lander, designed by Dan Williams, 
it's set in a kind of sci-fi spacey universe. You're, you're a corporation and you have a crew and you're, you're landing on a planet and you're trying to exploit this planet. And it's an area control game where you're using resources, you're using crew abilities. And yeah, and it's, it's all done on a, a kind of plastic board made up of triangle pieces and they all fit together. And it looks very interesting. It's, as Ron said, very early in its development. We couldn't tell you how it's going to turn out. But the thing, that, the thing that caught me is that it's the way the modern age is making board game development more accessible and, and easier to do. Now, these guys have a team where one of them's based in London or Croydon, one of them's up in Yorkshire, one of them's in Canada, one of them's an American that could end up in any given place, <laughs> any given time. So how do, how do these guys get together to work out, to iron out the game? And it, it's all done online. And, and that, I found that fascinating. I know people do it and they use like tabletop and tabletopia and things like that. But it, it just it really sounded interesting to me that these guys can sit in all these different parts of the world and play the game, work it out, play test it. Very interesting. And the second interesting point <laughs> for me, Ryan, was... The random people on the crew cards. We had Goldie Horn, <laughs> Gemma no, Redgrave. I had Goldie Horn as my captain. <laughs> Sorry, Thank you very much. <laughs> Goldie Horn was Ronan's captain. Gemma Redgrave was his science officer. I stand by both of those. Yeah, that was Goldie Horn was a, 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 from the UK apparently. <laughs> UK flag behind that. <laughs> well, the fact that they had the 3D printed out board and pieces and all that was really impressive. To me, it's kind of strange, Sean. I'm kind of used to going to gaming expos and the games are good and yet the presentation and the professionalism of the company behind them sometimes are not as far along as the game. It was almost the other way around for me with these guys. They were really impressive. The 3D printing they'd done was impressive. The amount of passion and professionalism that had gone into the game was really impressive. I wasn't that convinced that they had a huge background in gaming and in the industry. Just from the references they were making, from sort of the things they were talking about, the design, how they thought things would go along. They were talking about having huge decks of cards, each with individual pieces of art on them. And I was thinking, that that's like a, a year and a half, two years worth of an artist working on for you to get individual pieces of art. And it's going to be incredibly expensive as well. And for a first game coming out and a first design and all doing it themselves with really ambitious components, really ambitious artwork, I hope the guys sort of see the other publishers around, talk to people, maybe get in contact with people who can help you with how a Kickstarter runs, what the pitfalls are, because their passion and professionalism mean that I think the company's going to do well I hope they bed into the industry over the next six months, 12 months, and kind of get more in sync with where I think the cutting edge of gaming is. Yeah, I think what they've got is a, a good base product. Now, whether the game works or not, proof will be in the eating of the pudding. But I think they've got a good base product, and I think they showed us a prototype of the artwork. Yeah, we've already mentioned we talked to Tristan Hall, and one of the things he pointed out was with Gloom of Kilforth, uh, the art took ages because he had an individual piece of art on every single card. It took him, uh, yeah, because the artist 18 months to complete the artwork for the cards, and that was working yeah. pretty quickly. So these guys have got ambitions along that along that road. Oh, I think I, they I, had more cards than Gloom of Kill for. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I would certainly counsel them: no, you don't. You really don't need individual art on everything, or very keep it simple if you do. But the artwork that they did show us looked very impressive. 
once they get their artwork and the look of the game up and running and get you'll, you'll start to get a feel for what the game's about and the theming of the game i think they've got a good base product so best of luck to the guys from lander it's kind of a long view on that one isn't it it's like they're an interesting place it'll be nice to see them at another expo and maybe another expo and follow it forward and see how this game sort of grows they seem to have brought it out to public very early on well ronan what's your next game well, to have a lander, Sean, you have to land from something. Maybe you're landing from a magnificent flying machine. They're getting worse. They're not getting better. I'm going to give. They're certainly not getting better. <laughs> okay, magnificent flying machines again from Medusa Games. This was in prototype form. They think it might make this Essen. There again, we said before they they are the guys, the main brains behind the UK Games Expo itself. So they're pretty busy for the, for this one. But they had this one showing off. It's a race game in the early days of aviation, whereby you're sort of bumping along from location to location, looking to possibly pick up cargo, pick up passengers, land and refuel, maybe do a couple of tricks and, and deal with height and what have you. Now, I was really interested in the theme. Obviously, there's some pedigree in design from Nine Wells and uh, Great Fire of London and what have you. And I was like, oh, this is one that I really want to try. And I did get to sit down and try it. Unfortunately, it wasn't a great demo that I got. The guy didn't even bother to reset the board from the last game that was played. He was like, oh, we'll just deal with that as we go. So it was kind of muddled to start with. He didn't explain what all the components were. He just said, we're trying to get along there and we can do some stuff. Just start playing and I'll kind of explain it as we go. And I'm putting... 300% more enthusiasm into my voice right now than he did as he did it. And then, so he was like, just, what do you want to do? You can do either of those things. Oh, I'll do this and I'll do that. Okay, great. And then we had a couple of turns and he was like, okay, I'll tell you about this rule. You can do that. Okay, thanks. Two turns later. Oh, by the way, you can, you, you, that, that's how that works. And this is the explanation we were getting. At an expo with 16,000 people at it. Well, you're showing off your game. These are your core audience. Oh, like, uh, yeah, well, well, you guys know how to play it now, so I'm just going to go. Mm. What did I get from the game itself? I don't know. <laughs> it was really hard to judge, and I'm quite frustrated by the whole experience. It's like They showed us sort of uh, what the models of the airplanes may look like. They're in prototype form, like and they look like they're going to look nice. It looked like each game may well be different because there's weather that goes on and appears in different places. There's different cargoes going to appear in different places. The terrain can get mixed up, so it's kind of a modular board. So each time the race is going to be different. It's not just all about racing to the end. If someone races way ahead, they're not dropping off each place and picking up the prizes for being there. So you kind of scoot along behind delivering cargo and picking up if everyone else is not doing that. So there seems to be different ways to get to victory. So it seems like there could be an interesting game there. Magnificent Flying Machines... I'm going to keep my eye on the game. I'm going to hope to get it in again. You know, a bit frustrated. Yeah, which is weird because when I was at Medusa Games, the person to give the demonstration there was fantastic. She was excellent. She was fully engaged in the game herself. She explained it brilliantly. She was helping and giving tips, but not just giving tips, like explaining why that would be useful to do. And what would happen in the future and how, how that would come together and set, how you would set things up. And she was amazing. And we've also talked about Frank and City of Games uh, 1066, the demonstration we got of that. So, yeah, as when I said, this, this is, these are the people who are going to make your money. These are the people who are going to buy your game. They're going to decide if your game is a success or a failure. 
having somebody who's just disinterested on a stall is a big no-no. You've got to avoid that at all costs. I kind of wasn't going to say anything. And then three other people, when I, you know, specifically in this conversation, mentioned how bad that demonstrator was. And you think, wow, how much damage have you done to your company image this weekend? All right, must be, if they hear it, you know, whether it be from us or from someone else, it must be frustrating for them. You know, I guess it's almost a plea to everyone as well that sometimes it's so hard to judge a game on that just initial show at an expo. You almost have to look beyond the person. But, but there you go. Anyway, Magnificent Flying Machines. Keep an eye out for it, guys, because I got enough to think this is definitely worth a second look for me. All right. This one wasn't really one that's come out in the show. It's just one I picked up in the show and managed to get a couple of plays of. Family game coming from Dodai Magia Spieler, and it's Kula Hex, or otherwise known as the Rolling Witch from Marka Tubner. Very simply, it's a board that is positioned on four sponges on each corner, and you've got a load of obstacles in trees that are on top of the board. You've got four pegs in each corner of the board as well, and you've got to put your thumb on the corner of the peg, and you've got to move, tilt the board around. Why are you tilting the board around? Because there's a, a witch, and she is on the board, and you've got to get her to different areas of the board as determined by a turnover of a chip that will give you a picture. There are little pitfalls in there as well, and you're going to score points from the amount that you can do in the turn of a egg timer. Very simple. But what I want to talk about, it, it always amazes me, the amount of things that you can teach your children through board games. So we've already taught the boy about trading and about numbers and about bidding. And this is about the dexterity. It's about patience. You don't go hell for leather. You've got to make plan routes in his head around these trees and around these obstacles. And teamwork, because you have to work with It's always going to be two people you're going to be working with to try and do as well as you can. So it just always fascinates me how much a child can learn from playing board games. So much more than video games and things like that. It's fantastic. And that's why I wanted to give this one a bit of a shout out. It's just another one in the list of things that I've managed to have fun with and teach my son at the same time. Dry Magic Spiel, they rarely make a bad game, do they? Yeah, we picked up the Magic Labyrinth recently, and that's another one. Very innovative, very clever, and lots of fun. Yeah, the Little Magician's Apprentices in the kitchen, whatever it's called. Uh, Dice is all book, something like that. Uh, <laughs> the Enchanted Tower. They just make... It's kind of a shame that people almost overlook their games. Even when you go to German Expo, you overlook their games because they are all just got German names on them. They all yeah. come with international rules. They all come with like Hab or whatever. They come with rules in six languages in there, but with a German box. So if you're a mm. parent, you're looking for kids' games. Uh, we always talk about Haber games. They produce a lot of games, many of them great, some of them not that good. Dry Magic Spiel almost always produce really, really good games, all with English rules in, clear, simple rules. They're a company really worth keeping an eye out for. And also, Ronan, just... They are starting to come over because I actually managed to pick up the Magic Labyrinth in a Waterstones. Down, yeah, I, I down think that one's a bit different. I think that's a bit of a sort of a runaway success for them. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully that, now that the Waterstones know their, of their existence and people like that, hopefully their, their games are going to start to come over into the, the UK proper. Okay. I'm going to take us on a little bit of a flight of fancy here, Sean. 
Oh dear. How much role playing do I do? At present? Yeah. Zero. How many role playing games do you think I should have probably bought then at the expo? Zero. How many did I buy? More than zero. <laughs> One. <laughs> well, what language was that? <laughs> no, no, no. It's in English. It's from a Spanish company, but it's fully in English. Okay. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> yeah, it is. I've looked through it after I bought it. Okay. <laughs> this is Faith Garden in Hell. It was kickstarted in 2016. It raised nearly £20,000 for its starter set. Now, I talked about role-playing game starter set back when I was talking about Sentinels. And what it is, is it's all the rules you need with the scenarios you need to run a short campaign. In this case, it's a campaign that's about maybe a dozen adventures. It's a branching tree, so you're going to do different things different ways. And it's set in its own sci-fi world or universe that they've created in which there's two main races who are antagonistic towards each other, one of which has enslaved humans, and they use them sort of as physical labor because these are spacefaring races. They're used to low gravity. So when they need something done that's physical or in higher gravity, they need some sort of slave race and humans are that race. And then a fourth race has turned up. They are a threat against all the others. So they've got an uneasy alliance with each other against these brood sort of aliens who've turned up attempting to conquer our part of the galaxy. There are set characters, there are pre-rolled, and these four characters of different races have to work together. In the end, you're going to be trying to take down a brood mother. That's the whole point of this little short campaign you do. I was talking to the designer. The reason I was talking to the designer is that they've got a Kickstarter game coming out, which is sort of an area control sci-fi game, which we'll probably talk about possibly nearer the time. It's coming out in August. So that's why I went to the booth to talk to them about it. And we were chatting about that, and it sounded interesting, and that was cool. However, I said, so what is this universe, and what is it based on? And he said, well, it's based on our role-playing game. Do you want to hear about it? And the guy started talking to me. And the more he talked to me, I was like, this sounds really interesting. And I know, obviously, he was pitching it towards me, but he said he likes role-playing games. Some of his mates role-play. A lot of his mates are board gamers. So he thought, why don't I try and design a role-playing game that works for board gamers that doesn't have loads of manuals loads of rules you have to look loads of stuff up it is a box you open and all the game is in there all the information is accessible so what he's done what he's tried to do with this role-playing game is everything is on cards when you have a character all your kit is on cards and the card with the stats is one side and if you want to know what any of the special things are you flip it over and all the rules for that gun are on the other side of your one playing card side thing and when you fight an enemy it's on a card for reference, it's not a card game, but everything is referenced. So if I say I'm the GM in it and you're fighting a particular alien, I just have to find the card for that alien and everything I need to know is on that one card. And and the fighting is simple. And it's all about breaking down the barrier to entry of role-playing games and get people just sort of playing the story. And it all sounded so interesting to me. And he had such a good story about it behind it. Anyway, the campaign itself sounds so interesting. And some of my friends in the past year and contributors to the show have got back into role-playing games. They've been playing some D&D. There's been a Star Wars campaign kicked off. My brother has been playing Traveller and RuneQuest, and he's starting up a Call of Cthulhu. And RuneQuest Call of Cthulhu, we've been talking to Chaosium Inc. about, and they've got their own starter sets coming out to get people back in, and this this easing in, and so, you know, Christopher Bedell talks about this, easing into a role-playing game. This is the system. This is how it works. You don't need to read six manuals before you start. This is all you need to know to give this role-playing a go. And I actually really love the idea. I haven't role-played in nearly 25 years. 
It's a long, long time ago, way before I started playing sort of rugby seriously and going out and all the rest of it. And, uh, and and this for me was kind of intriguing enough that I went for it. I bought Faith of God in Hell, and I'm interested. And I'm going to try and get together a little group of four or five people, and I th- I'm going to try and give this little one a little go. You know, I'm just devastated that it's not in Spanish. I just had visions of you going <laughs> to night school, <laughs> learning Spanish because you weren't going to give up on this game. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, miss. What's tentacle in Spanish? <laughs> tentacle. Why would you need to know? I, I can't say. God bless you. God bless I tell you, you the, the designer was really, really engaging guy. Like I say, they've got a board game coming out. We'll have to cover that another time. But Faith of Garden in Hell. I, I'm, I haven't told Sean this yet. I'm thinking about doing a little episode with a couple of those fellows who got back into role playing and have a little chat about it, Sean. I don't know how you feel about that, but I thought I'd drop that bombshell live on air as it was. Oh, yeah. Deserting me again, are you? Uh, uh, yeah, maybe. Anyway, there we go. Should we get back <laughs> to some sort of a, 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 a the area that we usually cover? Oh, uh, yeah, cool, cool. Completely unrelated. I, I'm actually sniffing around maybe doing a bit of role playing, but it's just trying to get a group oh. together. But, yeah, we're, mm. we're too far away at the moment, Roly Pops. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so, okay, the next game I'm going to talk about is the the last game from that evening with our good friend Chris Marling. It is Diesel Demolition Derby from Matthew Dunstan and again by Ludwig Creations. So this game is themed about your you're basically having a massive tear up with these huge mechanoids. You've got a, a deck of cards ranging from zero to four. And these are the points you score when you're going to play the card from your hand after a draft. And if it ends up in your tableau and doesn't get taken away. The twist is that all these mechanoids do something different. So the zeros, although they're not going to score you much points, they're going to mess with the other people and take their stuff away. So they're kind of little trap cards. The ones don't score you many points, but again, they're going to mess with people. The fours are very fragile they don't really do anything to anyone else but obviously if you can keep hold of them they're going to score your points so you're all going to play four or five depending on the player number into the middle of the table and then at the end of each turn where you lay a card you're going to see who ends up with what there's a slight twist in that and there are event cards that change up this. They either change the order you play or make if you play two threes, they, they both nullify each other and they go out of play and all sorts of different things make it more interesting. Very light game, Ronan. Really quick, like bish, bash, bosh, play them. That does that, that, that does that, does that. Happy days. The event cards really made the game up for me. I think it wouldn't have been as entertaining without those it was one that i liked i don't know if i would go out and buy it but it's it's inoffensive Ronan. oh you're downing it with faint praise there <laughs> it was fine i enjoyed it we had a laugh we had a few beers playing it and that's that's the kind of setting you want a few beers a bit of a laugh let's not take it too personal when someone schnaffles one of your mechs it's always impossible to because you can't direct your attack you're just yeah. playing a card and it may or may not work. As you get to know the deck, there's a little bit more reading of each other going on. Obviously with those arenas, because they have certain scoring paradigms, you sort of go, oh, is it to make it more or less likely they play this card or that card? You get to know more of the cards that go around the table because of the drafting mechanism. So it's a funny thing. It's, it's what you've mentioned on the night, and I'm going to have to steal your analysis of this one, is that 
you're getting more control towards the end of a round when you have fewer options. And at the beginning of a round, you're almost chucking a card down willy-nilly because you don't know what other cards are around. You don't know how the game's going to shape itself for this particular hand. And whoever has the highest number of points at the end of when everyone's played their four or five cards gets one point and the first three points wins the game. You don't really know at the beginning. So you're throwing down and then by the time you get in any sort of shape on a hand of cards, you've got two or three cards down and you're kind of, oh, well, that's the way I've gone. I've got, I've got no other way of going now. And yeah, it's not like someone who, who's doing well in a round, you can really target them. So it is very much after our play, it was throw it down, see what happens, then have a little think. Does that more control come with more play and knowing the deck better? I'm not that convinced. It's, I like the theme. I like the idea of it. It's not going to stick that long in my memory for individual plays, though. Like you say, it's kind of one of those thrillers that's more a distraction than something to really think about. At the same time, someone said, let's play Diesel Demolition Derby. Triple D. <laughs> sure. You're not going to say, oh, no, I can't stand that. You're going to say, okay, yeah, fair enough. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> and then forget about it as you go on to other things. But oh, I, I right. concur. Ronan. Your last game you want to talk about. This is actually another super light game that was kickstarted successfully to sort of start off a game's company. It's called Lucid. The idea is that each player is dreaming and the last player to remain dreaming is going to win the round. And the way this works is you get a hand of three cards at the beginning of your turn. There is a difficulty dice, which is a D8, which starts at eight. Each time the game goes whole round it comes back to you it's going to drop down a level seven six five four three two one and you're going to first of all roll a d10 and you're trying to roll under whatever the difficulty level is the good news for you is you can manipulate your score somewhat by playing like happy cards down so if i needed seven i rolled a nine i could play like a minus two card to get down to the seven i'm all right i'm still asleep the bad news is the other players out of their hand have got cards that they can play to try and screw you over there's like the intruder so you're like having a nightmare or there's a fear of falling in your dream so it's like plus three to your role which is a bad thing obviously and you're just trying to react to that this is super super light quite funny at least you're directing your attack you're going nah nah screw you here's a plus three but even in your attacks you're just waiting on whether they've rolled close to the number because if I need six and I roll one, you're not going to waste your cards trying to get mine, bump it up to a seven. That kind of doesn't make any sense. And in terms of defense, you can only ever play one card anyway. So it's not like, because you keep cards in your hand and you draw back up to three at the beginning of your turn. It's not like you're going to keep hold of all your, your minus threes because you can only play once. If people get you more than three above your target number, you're out of the game. So it's super light. What is interesting to me is, is that it's a first Kickstarter. It's clearly a dip of a toes in the water from this company, and they already are planning on kickstarting a heavier board game. It's really nicely presented. It's got a kind of uh, there's not a lot of artwork, but it, I remember what it looked like. If you like, it, it's I was going to steal a Sean word. It's striking. It's a different theme. It shows promise from this company for me. So it showed enough of that that I'm thinking, I lose it. It's another one, Sean, that people say, do you want to play it? And I'll be like, it takes literally three minutes to play. Sure, why not? And I am going to be keeping my eye on Meta Games to see what comes next from them. Yeah, I mean, you said there, Ron, I was, I was gearing up to sort of ask you, well, like, why I didn't see this one. And you said it like it is striking. It did stick in the mind. The artwork was slightly different. Why didn't I see this in the hall? Why didn't it, it, until you mentioned it when we were going to do this episode, I hadn't even heard of it. 
Because they had about a third of one of the smallest level booths. Okay. Did you see Dungeon Digger there? I did, yes. Yeah, so we missed talking to the press guy at Dungeon Digger who was supposed to. I had a chat with the designer, I had a quick run through the game, but we didn't have a huge look at it, which is why I haven't mentioned it previously. It's a, a game that's a kind of cross between Cavum and Dungeon Lords in that you're laying tiles down to join tunnels up and making networks. But there's six different ways of playing. So one of them is like you've got to get in the middle, grab a gem and get out again competitively against all the other players. And you're all doing your own dungeons. You've got minions that do the work for you. They're almost like your resources or your action points, if you like. There's an interesting game, but I didn't get enough of you to really chat about it. Anyway, Lucid was the other third of that table. So it was really hard to notice. It was a guy sitting there. The artwork for the box, and not necessarily the cards, kind of looks a bit like uh, Ayunu that we were talking about earlier, in that it's white with sort of stylized black writing. So it just didn't stand out at all. It got swamped by the Dungeon Digger and all the boxes of game they had, and they had a board laid out. So that's why, mate, it was... I'll keep my eyes open for that. So my last one, I'm going... It was literally the first game I looked at, because I managed to get in uh, to the press preview, because you were at that point coming up from London. And it was the first table I went to, and it was Elemental Ascent, designed by Andrew Dennison. Now, this is very much a work in progress. They have previously won an award at the UK Games Expo. It was a redesign award. So it's where people get other games. In this case, it was Fantasy Frontier. And they use all the components from that game to change it into a completely different game. They won well, the award. But yeah, this one, it was interesting in that it was, it was an area control game. The themes around like wizards are using elemental servants to sort of dominate the land. And you know, you've got resource collection and uh, area control going on. It was, there was like an almost an environmental message. If you pull out all the resources out of a land, then that land is not going to do anything for you until you do a certain action to sort of replenish the land which made it really interesting for me. They've started going along the path of getting their own components in. They want to sell this to a publisher, but they are prepared to kickstart it as well, should the publisher not pick it up. I just wanted to give them some love, Rona. That's Elemental Ascent. Yeah, and they had the really bright idea of they had a bunch of power banks available. So if your mobile phone was running low on batteries. I'm not sure how you would know about this. It was pretty low, but you could go and sit there and play their game and they would charge your uh, your mobile phone for you. <laughs> cool, whatever works. That, that's stuck in your mind. Like this, These are the things that you need to do. It's this a is hall smart. full of like, game, yeah. yeah. I'm definitely praising this. Yeah, it's a hall full of people doing exactly the same thing as you, trying to pimp a game. Do something different. Make it stand yeah. out in people's mind. I agree. And I've had a quick look at it. It's very small at the moment. They've got a Facebook page with like 28 likes and stuff yeah. like that. It's all very low key. But again, it's, it's something to keep an eye on. It's another way that, that games companies can grow up. And one of the companies we haven't talked about, we're going to be playing their games until we're talking about them. They, they brought out a super hot Pocket Mars came out. It's Board and Diced. Now, to me, Board and Dice, I didn't know who they were a year ago. I don't think they existed more than a couple of years ago. And it goes to show this is still an industry whereby you can start with something like Elemental Ascent, you can strike gold, do it well, and this time next year, you might be Del Boy, you might be millionaires. Well, you won't be millionaires, not in board gaming, but you might suddenly be rocketing and your life can change just on a good idea. Uh, and I hope that it goes well for Elemental Ascent. Very good. And that brings us to the end, and we will see you in our outro in just a few moments. 
So thank you, Sean. Thank you, Ronan. Thank you, everyone, for listening and getting this far. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts to everyone who came up and said hello. I know I said we'd be in game pit shirts. Sean mostly was. Natalie was. Our shirts didn't turn up. We had an absolute rigmarole, which I was uh, I was quite upset about. <laughs> we now have game pit shirts. At Essen, we will be in game pit shirts. I promise you, they exist. They're in my hands. It, oh, horrific, they arrived in horrific. the nick of time. <laughs> in the nick of two days late time, having gone to three different addresses. I can't even tell you. I can't, I can't, I can't speak. Anyway, enough about that sort of drama. We hope you enjoyed this brief start of our coverage. We're not going to be banging on about UK Games Expo. We might mention when we cover games going forward that that's where we pick them up. But just to give you a brief taster, we've got some gaming coming up in the next few days. And our more in-depth reviews are going to be... I've got the likes of Brutal Kingdom from Cosmos Games, Thames Cosmos. I've also got Flatline from Renegade Games. I'm going to be looking at those two coming up in the next few weeks. Sean, anything in particular burning its way through your table in some sort of weird <laughs> you know the one the one i really really want to talk about rather than is century spice road which i did pick up at the expo it had enough of an impression on me that i didn't want to waste it on a, a show we didn't talk about it in depth so i'm holding that one back this war of mine ronan has arrived it was uh it was playable at the expo and I tell you what, more than one person came up to me and went, oh, that was a good game. <laughs> but I, a sneak preview, sneak preview. I was part of a party that we're having a little chat with Tom about it. He's not convinced. Tom Is Bassel, he not? not? He doesn't think it's a game. Is it it's a game? No, he doesn't Crikey. think it's a game, but he doesn't think the computer game was a game either. Right. It's no secret. I, I don't agree with Tom that often in terms <laughs> of what he thinks about games. But I do like the fact that he gives reasons. And quite often he'll say, I don't like this because of this. And I'll think, I'm going to like it because of that. Or the opposite. So there you go. Well, you know, with Tom, like, yeah, you can make up your mind. You're not in the dark after after listening to him. He gives you the reasons. And then you can say, well, I know no if I'm going to enjoy that game. Mostly. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. 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 Anything else? Uh, what else have we got? What else have we got? Shadowscape from NSKN Games. We picked that one up at Expo, and we're also going to be looking at Mistfall in that universe. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to both of those. I think um, one of our else. listeners, Joe Bowles, brought back up. Remember from the Dungeon Crawl Pit Fight episode we had, mm-hmm. and uh, there was the row about whether Legend of Andor was a Dungeon Crawler or not. Yeah. <laughs> or two things we've got Star Shield expansion for Legend of Andor which I'm going to be having a sniff at we might be talking about that but secondly I think Shadowscape might be a little bit along those lines because it, it does seem sort of puzzly and program movement a bit like Andor and it's reminding me a bit like this is not your traditional dungeon crawler it's something not. a bit different I think, I think we'd kind of decided that or from just from having a little preview of it it does have a lot of Euro elements to it. Yeah, so I mean, I'm interested to get these all played mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks and share our thoughts with everyone. Any, any other business, Sean? No, Ronan, just wanted to say thank you, not just to the people that came up to us, but thank you to everybody who made the Expo a fantastic time. The people who work behind the scenes, all the volunteers, it just grows and gets better and better all the time. And thank you for putting in all your yeah, it's, it's kind of fantastic to be just like a tiny little part of something that is, is growing so huge. And for me, the first time this year, 
it felt like a little bit of Essen had come to Birmingham. It was that that big and had that feel and had the games and the big stands and the yeah. Anyway, it was awesome. So thanks a lot, guys. Sean's going to see you out. As always, we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to email us about anything at all, we are thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Board Game Geek Guild. That's the best place to come and just chew the breeze with us and chat about any subject you would like. We are on social media. We're on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. We have a Facebook page and we are on Instagram. If you wish to download our episodes, we are on Podbean, iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you so much for listening. Music by E. Aaron. UK Games Expo, boy!